talking about Marriott A, this is what we do, and if you can support. Other one thing, the following topics are related to this information, and we are not entertaining that. If you talk about these, these raise these topics, we will have to shut you down. If we keep 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 announcing that and give people a very short list of things, they should not touch it. If they touch, that will deviate from the main discussion and will be shut down. That's a proactive way to, let's say, to preempt these kind of destructive attacks ahead of the time, and it builds credibility. That's my suggestion. All right, thank you. We're going to go to Johnny. Johnny, you're on the spot. I was just wondering what what was life like? What's the differences in just everyday life between Russia and the Ukraine? So before the war, there's much of a difference in the in the day to day lives before, given they're so close and obviously used to be part of the same same country. You want hmm. to compare the lives of 200 million people? I think uh, if it's what I think it is, uh, Ukraine would. Ukraine, the average Ukrainian would have been far better off than the average Russian in terms of uh, lifestyle, and uh, I think you've noticed that with uh, people stealing dishwashers and washing machines and uh, things like that. Uh, some of the intercepts between Russians and home, uh, well, you know, the Russian soldiers express their surprise to their families that all the Ukrainian homes have toilets and not outhouses and the roads are paved and they're really shocked because for years they've been taught that Ukraine is this really backwards uh, Bantu stand, not real country. Um, so I hope that answers your question, Johnny. Yeah, and apparently it's the other way around. Yeah, it is. John, sir, there, answer your question? Yeah, yeah, interesting. No, I mean, that's what I meant. I meant just day-to-day, like, facilities, you know, amenities, roads, and stuff like that, yeah. But yeah, thanks. 100%. No worries. All right, Imperius. We have a regular contributor here, uh, Oscar from Odessa, and she usually posts photo from Odessa uh, about uh, several uh, locations around the city, uh, the beautiful flowers, uh, the vineries, the wine-tasting uh, avenues. It would be interesting if you would like to take a look at that, for instance. That would give you an idea about the day-to-day life in Odessa for something. You know, it's just a coastal city, and you can check that out. Lisa, please go ahead. I think Imperius had his hand up. Uh, yeah, I just I just wanted to throw out a couple uh, extra anecdotes uh, on top of the dishwasher one. I mean, there's there's also uh, the uh, stories of them saying they're surprised that you know all these people are living in brick houses and a quick uh, Google. Uh, maps tour of you know your random Russian villages outside of say Moscow Oblast uh, will quickly reveal uh, why that's the case. Also, um, it's it's pretty interesting uh, that in one of his surprisingly hinged uh, rants uh, over the weekend, Igor Gherkin, um, that's the guy who masterminded oh, the uh, developed Don Gherkin, the pickled onion. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, he uh, he turned himself into a pickle and then annexed Crimea. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, what do you mean he turned himself into a pickle and annexed Crimea? Uh, uh, gherkin is a pickled onion. That I was just making another dad joke. Sorry for interrupting, Imperius. Yeah, it's a Commonwealthism for all the Americans in the audience. Um, 
Anyway, I, am, I enjoy pickled onions, by the way, with with scrambled eggs during my breakfast. So it's not only an American thing. No, I meant I you meant calling pickles gherkins. Right, anyway, I've ruined the flow. My apologies. Let's get back to your uh, other examples of Russian shock at Ukrainian technological superiority. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, specifically, Igor Gherkin was ranting about uh, the individual first aid kit disparity between Russia and um, uh, Ukraine, uh, seeing as that, you know, one is from the, the literal 70s uh, and the other isn't. Um, and actually has what you'd expect to, you know, help someone survive a gunshot wound. Uh, but more, more to your point uh, in question, uh, Gherkin sort of makes it very clear that yes, Ukraine is is far richer per capita, you know, in in sort of actual per capita terms, not just like taking all the rich people's wealth and then dividing it across the population who don't actually have that money, um, and that. Uh, that during the sort of occupation and annexation of the Donbass, which you know he was he was part of, uh, the Russian uh, government have have gone a step further than like even the kleptocratic system in Russia, and he he himself like freely admits that the quality of life there is has been reduced to nothing, almost nothing, between the the torture camps and the sort of replacement of any any sort of government service with with banditry and, and thuggery and and you know just a sort of direct military administration that doesn't have any sort of real civilian uh like interest in in providing civilian services you've just highlighted how yahuda and i came friends basically i said that the russians are fighting this war using an early 70s doctrine and the Ukrainians are fighting using uh, an early, late 2000s uh, doctrine. Yeah, we're, we're really, it's literally like, you know, a time machine from the Soviet Union sent an army through and is expecting any success against, you know, a modern, well-trained army. Time machines, another conspiracy theory right there. Axel first, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. Ah, gents, you make me laugh. It is delightful. If it weren't so tragic. Right, okay, I just wanted to highlight, I've, I've received a couple of messages from friends all across that I should please, please highlight the fact that in uh, his uh, press statement, Mark Rutte, <coughs> the Prime Minister of, or the Minister President of, uh, of the Netherlands has uh, delightfully highlighted amongst many good things about his call with President Zelensky, that uh, um, in collaboration with Germany, Belgium and the UK, and presumably two other nations, the Netherlands is currently working towards sending more, now it comes, heavy weapons. Uh, and then, of course, classic Dutch thing, they're also sending a forensic, uh, say, <coughs> sorry, to <coughs> apologies a forensics team uh, to assist uh, Ukraine uh, with uh, the assessment uh, of a variety of new locations uh, which seemingly have been identified. Sorry, I need to drink some water. I apologize. No worries. Is that the end or did you want to... Sorry. It's okay. I just wanted to highlight that there is movement between the Netherlands and Germany, which just like the last time when actually the Netherlands export 
uh, deigned to export 24 um, howitzers, the Panzerhaubitzer, that essentially there is more equipment coming. You just have to look at the list of what uh, the Dutch actually have, which the Germans once supplied, and then you know exactly what kind of a light battle tank is in consider under consideration. 100%. All right, Jingu, then Ryan. Okay, I just have a very quick question regarding the Mariupol. So there are conflicting accounts. We read that uh, the Defenders there had stored seven years of food and supplies ahead before this war. And also, we we also heard that they are running out of the supplies. And right now, we heard that, uh, that we, we know that uh, there's an evacuation going on. We also heard that uh, the Russians have been intensified their attack. And right now, the situation looks even more dire. So what is the situation over there? Any insights? Yeah, so we, we, we addressed this earlier. Um, so the Russians have started uh, to try to uh, take the Avastol steel plant um, about 20, 22 hours ago now, um, midday Kiev time yesterday. Um, and it looks as though, um, it looks as though, um, sorry, after late afternoon, uh, it looks as though they've not getting very far. Uh, they've incurred a lot of casualties. There's still about a couple hundred civilians in there, probably about a thousand fighting uh, individuals plus another maybe 500 wounded soldiers. So it doesn't look good, to be honest with you. Uh, nothing good all around. And uh, unless there's uh, an ability to have a link up, uh, like uh, Ukrainian forces relieve them, uh, it does not look good. Not at all. So it's unfortunate. And uh, they're brave, brave soldiers and, and, and civilians in that uh, in that plant currently. When you say not good, look good, it's not look good for the Russian offensive no. on the no. Russian side or the Ukrainian side, not looking good? Well, for the Ukrainians, it doesn't look good. Uh, the Russians have many and too much. Uh, and the Ukrainians uh, obviously are, are in a subterranean complex. So it's not good for them without any relief. Uh, the Russians, I mean, is it a victory if, if 5,000 Russians die, but all 1,000 fighting uh, soldiers die in there too? It's a Pyrrhic victory, maybe, but uh, unless the Ukrainians can be relieved, um, it's only a matter of time before the Russians will take the rest of Avastol. With enormous loss, don't get me wrong, they are they are incurring huge loss. Every every corner of every tunnel, every bit of at any point where they could sabotage them with explosives, uh, uh, it's going to happen. So um, it, it's a very tough proposition. Russians are barely trained to fight above ground, let alone underground. So, not a good situation all around. Um, Ryan. Um, I'm watching some very interesting video from a Russian town called Makivka, I believe. Uh, it looks like some more spontaneous combustion. Uh, the, the video I'm watching claims it was a fuel depot or some fuel tanks that caught on fire, but... Uh, from watching the video, there seems to be a very frantic guy with an American accent. Uh, honestly, he kind of comes across like a tweaker to me, but uh, says he's a Russian propagandist. But there's a very interesting OSINT-type intelligence or uh, video footage in the background. Some uh, vehicles that I can't really tell if maybe they were fuel transport vehicles. They look kind of military to me. Uh, has anybody talked about this Makivka strike yeah, it yet? Could be, uh, it could be black magic, but we won't know for sure until we fact check it. 
Um, we'll have to see. Uh, Mikivka, Walter, is anyone tracking that? Makivka is just another hotspot. Yes, they are trying to advance as well as in Popasna. They are receiving heavy casualties in Popasna specifically and uh, coming back and forth in waves. And uh, again, their losses are quite substantial to say the least. But they they essentially use cannon fodder. And... uh, Russian troops operate uh, the artillery, the ones from Russia, and they try to use cannon fodder that they forcefully recruit from uh, Russian-occupied Ukrainian territories. This is their current tactic all, all over the front lines. So they're trying to push into Popasna, Makivka, and other areas. And as we have heard today from the fighter from 93rd, essentially 93rd is trying to push back into Russian occupied territories near Izum, at least in the area where they are active. Quick question: the video as to Makivka was that a tank storage which went up in flames? Is that what you said? That's what I'm trying to determine. I was wondering if anybody had a geolocation on it yet. I uh, shared the video up okay. in the nest real quick. Feel free to delete that out of there if the re- it's not something no you want The thread. reason being, the name Makivka is widely distributed. There's more than 20 of them, uh, both in Ukraine as well as further east to Cherkaska, so in Rostov, Nadonia, in the area north of it. So, um, and there is Markivka, for example, in the Donetsk Oblast, uh, which has been under occupation for quite some time. And there are, in Markivka, very veritable um, tank storages, which, if exploded, Check the would net not be available quick. to the Russians. Ask. Okay, I will have a look. I'd, it says Russian fuel depot, so I'm not sure. I presume that's inside Russia, but uh, that's kind of why I was asking. I was curious on a possible geolocation. It's two eyes, Makivka, so that should be the one in uh, uh, Donetsk, uh, in Donetsk Oblast. Maybe um, uh, Walter can have a look, but I think we'll take a look at it. In the mean- yeah, we'll take a look at it in the meantime while you figure that out. Let's go to Lisa. She had her hand up there. Lisa, go ahead. Lisa, unmute your mic, please. Lisa Pandone Benson. Plane's taken off. Please head to your gate. Can you hear us, Lisa? It was a mistake. I'm so sorry. But I can't hear you. Hello? Yep. I, I'm sorry. I am on the computer and just listening to you. And if I hit the mic, I'm terribly sorry. But it is a good opportunity to say something that has been on my mind for a couple of days. I think on Saturday I was listening to you all while I was driving and somebody was talking about Holocaust and why we're here. And some of us were, I think there was a conversation um, about Jews in in the Kiev region. And I think I just want to point out that I I am so invested in this because I am um, of Jewish Ukrainian descent. My grandfather was born in the area outside of Kiev. My entire family is very focused. Many of them are listening to all of this and I tuned in to you thanking you very very much for what you do my father uh, was not Jewish he was Italian liberated Ordov concentration camp in World War II in Germany my whole life has been devoted to genocide and with nonprofit organizations including my own uh, so um, 
very emotional time. And I thank you all. You kind of keep me centered. And I've been on here a few times. I usually don't speak because I don't think I have much to add. You, The experts here have kept us way, way informed more than any cable news show. That's all. My mic was on by accident, but I'm glad I had a chance to say good morning to you all. And thank you very, very much. So you can drop me to the bottom. Well, thank you. well, we're not going to drop you, but thanks so much for your uh, for your kind words and for your commitment to the space, and I uh, appreciate it. Thank um, you. Great. I, I thought you didn't speak. I thought you were going to say because of them, which is totally legitimate. But it's okay. Um, Sorry. It's, it's early here in Phoenix, so my brain cells are just on my first cup of coffee. So I'll be um, seeing. Thank you. You're welcome. All okay. right, go ahead, Joey. Hello. Uh, is there anything? Hello. Yeah, it, uh, Yehuda, it's David Icke, by the way. But my next point is um, he was from Leicester. I used to work with his brother, but that's another point. Uh, very embarrassed by David Icke, by the way, as he should have been. Uh, my cousin was one of the evacuees. She's in a displaced person. She's now in Poland. She's coming back, hopefully, tomorrow back to Artania in Ivan Frankivsk. Uh, is there any news, more news on any Western attacks in Western Ukraine? Because I, I know yesterday there was a few uh, missiles hit Lviv area. And last time she was going to go home, the bus driver got to Lviv, a missile hit, and he turned back and took him back to Poland. So I know they're missing the, obviously missing the family. We, I talk to them quite regularly. And yeah, Definitely ask Walter. Walter or Uliana might be able to address that. Yes, yesterday there has been an attack in Lviv, uh, so they target uh, railway uh, uh, railway routes and like stations, so it was disrupted yesterday. Stations. Yeah, but since uh, since then it has been restored, the routes via rail, uh, railways, and also it was the first time since the beginning of invasion that they targeted the Zakarpatia region, which is like western, western Ukraine, I think it borders Romania, Slovakia and other regions. Okay, thanks. You're welcome. No worries. Uh, stick around. Thanks, Joey. Thank Sorry. You. Uh, hopefully she's safe and uh, God bless you and your family. Yeah, she's, she sent me videos the other day. Uh, my Her son loves football, as it appears most of the rest of the world does. And uh, he, I think his main concern, he's not playing football as much at the moment, which, and obviously he misses his father, but I think... We, it looks like this play, This will be done pretty soon because anyway, Russia's going to collapse and be turned into the giant shithole that it is. Thanks. I hope so. We can only dream it happens sooner than later, right? Yeah, hopefully. Just what was Russia's just a toilet. Anyway. Yeah, I think if the EU does follow through on their complete oil embargo against Russia, that'd probably be the best thing, the best news we've heard since the beginning of the war, aside from the incredible and legendary bravery of the Ukrainian soldiers. Um, we have two new people. Uh, we have a lot of people that try to speak. We let them up and then they go away. So I'm going to address them. I don't know if that guy just jumped down, but we're going to Vaishnavi. Do you have a question or a comment? Go ahead. No, I guess not. Uh, I, I love it. When you click on to be a speaker, it actually makes you a speaker. So if you don't want to speak, just uh, don't press that button. And uh, we're just trying to get some other people in. Uh, definitely not a suspicious account, SSDD, and your bio is SADF letters. Okay, go ahead. Do you have a comment or a question, SSDD?
Okay. I'm just going to add a few people here, M. Uh, SSDD, do you have a question? Okay, we're going to Healin. Go ahead, Healin. You mean Heliana? Yeah, I said Heliana. <laughs> okay, so just... No, I didn't. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> um, yesterday, I unknowingly, just like the a speaker a couple of times ago, unknowingly clicked on the mic request and didn't know that I actually had the mic on. I don't know how many times until I finally looked at my tablet. So just to say that that may be what people are experiencing. I hear you. And they know you, you're, you're right. I, you're a good faith person. There are people that just are, are being silly, I'm afraid, but go ahead. All right. Anyway, that's all I had to say, except of course, thank you, M, Yehuda, Axel, uh, Fairlane, all of you, you are fantastic. Love you. Thank you. Thanks so much, Eliane. Okay, we have Jay. Jay is a first-time uh, speaker, a long-time listener. Go ahead, Jay. Hi there. Uh, long-time listener, yeah. I've enjoyed uh, every minute of it. It's very informative. Um, I am an American Israeli, and so I'm particularly interested in sort of the role that Israel could have played as a mediator, but it kind of fizzled out. And then just sort of um, if you see any parallels between sort of Israel's David Goliath um, um, achievement. They tried. They tried. Hmm? Sorry? Israel, Israel tried to play, not play, Israel tried to mediate mm -hmm. 100%. Yeah, what happened? Yeah. Why, why were they not able to? And then my... my, my the Russians. Ah, okay. But so can we explore a little bit the relationship between Israel and Russia? I understand the sure. you know, politics issue. I understand that. But more of the cultural ties that the countries have. And then the other thing is, is, of course, they always bring the Jews in, right? In every conflict, somehow, you know, Zionism or anti-Zionism or Judaism always gets thrown in. I don't know why, but I wish they would leave us alone. <laughs> yeah, well, when it comes to, uh, I mean, you know, first of all, Israel, is, is not, Israel has no ability to force Russia to do anything. And I think anyone who thought um, they could uh, be anything other than a mailbox, what I mean is a mailbox is, you know, a mailbox. You give me your message, I give it to Zelensky. Zelensky gives me your message, I give it to you. Anything outside of being a mailbox, Israel wasn't. Neither was France, neither was Turkey. Kind of delusional, I think, if any of those countries thought that they could, uh, like, uh, you know, affect or influence um, Putin. So um, Israel has been involved from the beginning in different capacities, whether it's signal intelligence or actual reservists who, you know, not technically in the army, who went to fight. Why was Israel not uh, jumping around um, talking about iron domes and this and that and swearing at Russia. Well, Russia controls, has a big control in Syria. They control the airspace. They have anti, uh, they have air defense systems. Know. The question yeah. is more about cultural ties, considering the population of Israel has so yeah. many Eastern Europeans, considering Zelensky's Jewish, there must be this Jew to Jew type of thing. I don't know. I would yeah, imagine. So you're, you said you're an Israeli American. I find that interesting. Um, Why? I'm just, I just, uh, just find it interesting the way you you speak. Um, so? Do you speak Hebrew? Can. Can. Okay. 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 Okay.
Yo, okay, so anyways, um, so the reality is this. Uh, there are about one and a half to two million Jews of uh, Russian or Ukrainian descent in Israel. They are a big part of the population. Um, are many of them from Ukraine, technically? Yeah, but a lot of those uh, Jewish people who did come right after the collapse of the Soviet Union were predominantly, you know, Sovietized, Russified people. Even if they were from Kiev, they spoke Russian primarily. At any rate, uh, I, I mean, if you're from Israel, you know the cultural relationship between Israelis and uh, Eastern Europe in general. Um, most uh, Israelis don't uh, hold water for Lenin or Marx or Soviet leaders. So the reality is the Israeli public opinion is very much on the side of Ukraine. Um, now, the fear of, of, of pissing off Russia is one of the bigger points to make. Um, and... Uh, I, I think that besides helping clandestinely, uh, the Israelis now have shifted tactics, specifically because Lavrov and Putin have, have authorized that change by, by being silly and making stupid comments about the Holocaust. And that political will is there. Um, as about three days ago, it was leaked that Israel would provide uh, some form of Iron Dome coverage. I don't think that is uh, going to be a, a large area weapon or defense platform it'll probably be maybe for the city of Lviv or certain areas where they can affect change on a smaller air basis and um should the russians get anywhere near it they'll probably blow it up um but yeah that's where it's going um i'm not sure the culture i mean they like russian music i don't know where you're going with the cultural thing uh, again the vast majority of israelis do not even like putin or russia so uh i i, I don't know what else there is to answer to that if there's another follow-up let me know yeah i just think it i just think that israel could be a potential very big player in the geopolitics of this either clandestinely or not they have so much interest with with russia and with ukraine it's a you know it's not really a, an american relationship but um i just i feel like we could probably see them getting involved and i i think it's curious that they are invoking this anti-semitism thing now it it could escalate. Who's they, Russia or is yeah. yeah, yeah, no, the Russia, of course. Yeah. Well, I mean, Why look, let, let's be honest. No one in Israel, the Soviet Union, consistently supplied weapons to countries that wanted to destroy Israel for seventy years. So there's no love. Like, uh, they, outside of not wanting to start a regional conflict in Syria, the Israelis don't give a flying f about Mr. Putin. I can promise you that. So the question is, at what? What will it cost? Why should we? Why should we publicize? So, for example, a lot of anti-Semitism came out. Israel doesn't want to help anyone unless it's Jewish. And people are making fun of Israel, but meanwhile, they're doing far more than most countries are doing by fighting and providing signal communications intelligence in Ukraine. But they're like, you know, what's not worth it? We don't care what the people who hate us are going to hate us anyway. So we'll do what we can to help Ukraine, and we won't talk about it. That's the Israeli. That's totally the Israeli mo. That's that's what they do. They're like, we don't people are going to hate us no matter what. So we'll do what we need to do. And we won't try to take credit for it, because if it pisses off Russia front, you know, if, if we're seen to embarrass them publicly, then they're going to go do something stupid in in, in southern southwestern southwestern Syria. They're going to let a bunch of, you know, trucks from Hezbollah go by and go through their air defense zones to, to, to screw over. Um, you know, to screw over Israel. So Israel has no business. It has, doesn't require, doesn't care about the politics. They're, they're their own worst enemy when it comes to PR because they just, they have a philosophy, which is people who hate us already hate us. Uh, we're just going to do what we have to do to survive. And we don't care if you're our friend. 
You know what I mean? So that's I, it's I not Zion. <laughs> it's not Zion. Yeah. So at any rate, I understood uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to? Do you want to comment on? No. <laughs> All right, we'll leave the Zion comment. Can't, okay. Okay. Bye. Okay. Let's go to uh, Ari. Yalla bye is very Egyptian. Yehuda, by the way. Yalla yalla. Well, you guys stole it from us. Oh. Uh, go ahead. Arinze, God Saint. I'm sure we got a good one coming here. Let's do it. That was German. No, the individual speaking is Arinze God Saint. I just do it, he says. I hope you just press the unmute button and speak. It's only Wednesday, Captain. Good Lord. Arinze, my friend, uh, you've been asking to speak for a lot, so I just want to give you a chance before you put you to listeners. Do you have something to say, my friend? Am I saying it wrong? Arinzi, press, uh, unmute your mic. You got to press on some of those buttons and unmute it. All right. Uh, let's go over to Mark. Hello uh, again. Uh, I don't know if Alex is here. Uh, Oh, he is. He's joining. He's coming. Okay, okay. I have a question for him uh, because uh, I, I think that uh, uh, let me change the topic uh, because you know I, I'm not good at in certain uh, 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 the the other side of life in, when we uh, are dealing with such serious things like uh, like war in U Ukraine. So uh, I think that uh, what uh, what um, sometimes I'm I'm very um, curious and uh, not uh, not very it's not very pleasant for me to hear a question about um, uh, different countries uh, uh, Style of helping or uh, or um, uh, delivering uh, uh, armor uh, to Ukraine because I think that uh, we here as a pe as people uh, uh, as a single uh, people or uh, as a nation are uh, you know we we do what we can and I I think I I and some sometimes I. I uh, I sound uh, most probably very nice, but uh, uh, I assure you that I know something about politics. But when I speak, I try to uh, to speak as a person, and as, uh, I uh, some uh, several times I heard question about uh, uh, about Germany why they. Uh, they are not doing much more than they do, and for me, as a, as a person from Poland, I have to uh, to say that 
I admire the way uh, Germany, uh, you know, uh, behaved after uh, after the Second World War, uh, and uh, how they teach their uh, young people about uh, their own history. And I I I think that I can understand uh, the hesitation of, uh, for example. Uh, investing more money uh, to improve their own army, etc. Mm, I, I think it, you can treat me as a naive person now, but uh, I, uh, as I said, I uh, uh, this is what I feel. And uh, for me, uh, 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 I uh, was. Uh, uh, you know, I was very. Of course, I wanted from the bottom of my heart to uh, to the, the Germany to to be more uh, more involved in Ukraine situation. And uh, uh, but I, from the first time, I, I uh, from the, at the beginning, I understand the hesitation and even. Uh, I uh, I admire this because you know this is. This is something which they have to decide uh, for the first time after the war. Uh, uh, so uh, I, I well, the question is uh, is uh, beside uh, politics. Uh, do you think okay. that uh, Alex? Do, uh, do you think it's it's uh, something which uh, German uh, government uh, has to? Fight with you know the uh, the the remembrance of the war and uh, you know uh, the uh, not willing to uh, to be uh, to invest more in in your army etc. Do you think it's it, it, it's it's true or or I, I just I, I'm 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 not uh, feeling it. Okay, so I'm going to sum up the question for Marek. He's asking, is Germany's reluctance to provide weapons and build an army, is it, a, is it because they're afraid of the historical past? And what does Alex uh, apparently think of that? Or maybe Walter, because uh, Alex has his own question. So Marek, is that a good uh, sum up of your question? Yes, this is... Uh... Uh, I, I know that it was too long, but yes, this is the the. No, it wasn't the, too long. I was, just I was condensing yeah. it. I was mm. condensing yeah. it for the listeners. Okay. Yes, of course. Uh, yeah, no worries. Uh, uh, Axel. Well, <clears throat> some people in Germany may hide behind that still. Most who are pragmatic and realistic do not even dare do that. Are there strange intellectuals and very passive people who have not quite yet seen the light of day? Absolutely. So if you were to poll this in Germany, you would probably find enough people who believe that, oh God, we should not do that. That is always the case. Um, but if you ask people in industry and in business, if you ask um, leading trade unionists, if you were to uh, talk to, I'd say, people in academia, not in, in, in sciences and natural sciences, you will probably find a, a significant pragmatic understanding of what power politics is 
and what Germany's role is and should be. And um, whilst there's always this lingering kind of concern, it is completely unmerited. Germany has to do what it should do properly for the good of democracy. There's a responsibility attached to the freedom which Germany has been granted by the Allies. And um, Germans simply have to accept that, that they have to treat carefully by not, uh, say, stepping on people's toes. That comes with the territory, but I think Germans are smart enough to do so. This overcautious attitude, which is... (laughs) is being abused by people as an excuse. And it's also being abused by those who would like to push Germans into the situation because they benefit from it. And that is an ideological bent, and that's infiltration, insubordination. And the Russians are extremely good to play on what we call the claviatur. They are playing this song all along. And um, yeah, what shall I say? Uh, I'd say that if you were to really ask Germans uh, by a ratio of three to one, they would understand that there is a necessity to take pragmatic steps to defend freedom. That's my view. And I think current polling bears that out. Hope that answers your question there, Mark. We're going over to Fuzzy. Oh, Fuzzy. Well, can, can I say something before it to Alex? This is Mark yeah, sure. here. Oh, so uh, <laughs> I, I assure you it would be much shorter now. Uh, so, Alex, this is what I can feel. I, you know, this is how I uh, can feel the situation. So, thank you very much for the answer. And I'm, I'm, you know, this is this is what makes me happy because I think uh, this is what should be done now. And uh, so. Uh, uh, that's it. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, our sleep at the wheel. Fuzzy, go ahead. Hey, Yehuda. Uh, thank you. Um, yeah, interesting discussion on uh, Israel and Ukraine and russia i guess uh i was curious if if um you know this kind of ukraine is kind of the intersection of a lot of things that have happened um in the u.s politically where i'm calling from or speaking from um there was this the trump inc podcast that talked about this uh, anatevka settlement in ukraine i don't know if you're familiar with that um or the, the the previous speaker um i'm curious as to how um, Russia had kind of embedded itself in Israeli politics and promoted, um, I don't know what, like a lot of money changing hands and uh, Rudy Giuliani getting involved in things, but there's there's been a lot of back channel stuff going on uh and i don't know if israel has to kind of uh walk that fine uh tightrope uh with domestic politics in terms of how they um navigate aid to ukraine so um i don't know if you had any thoughts on that and also on it other uh, thing is the clarify uh, exactly what you mean thoughts on the what part uh russian I guess, money going to israel yeah and how how it might just impact their domestic political... Um... Let me let me address that real quick. Let me sure. explain something for people who don't know anything about Israel. Israel is a weird 
weird country. Um, when it comes to, uh, you've never heard of a country more um, <laughs> focused on security than yes. Israel. So, yes. so I, I happen to know of a guy whose father's very, very wealthy. He's a grown man. Dad's billions. He goes to Israel to to um, donate $30 million to build a hospital or something. And the people at customs don't like the way he looks that day and had him in for five hours. The guy was freaking out. My father, da, da, da. they don't give a flying crap. They don't care about Russian money. If it comes to their security, it's a joke. It, it's embarrassing. And I go like, Oh my gosh, like you really die. Like these people are really, you know, first time I went, what is that? It's a razor. Well, what brand is it? Well, it says Phillips on it. Yeah, that's what I'm asking you. Oh, it says Phillips. It's a Phillips razor. Okay. Where'd you get it? This is a true story. I got it at my, my bar mitzvah. When was your bar mitzvah? In October 20th. Well, what Parsha did you read? What portion of the Torah did you read? Are you joking? Like the, the, I go, it's a razor. This was, and this was in Toronto at the LL counter. And I was like 15. Okay, so the, the 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 you know this there's an image that nothing moves them. The only thing that they care about is their security. They don't care if it was a nice Jewish boy visiting. They didn't give a flying cow. Um, Russian, if Russians have business, keep it, can, Russian. Uh, if they're Russian Israelis that have business stuff on either side, Israelis don't care. They're not buying anyone off. They're not getting special treatment. And sure enough, when push comes to shove, Israelis had boots on the ground at the beginning of the war. They had signal, signal intelligence going on from the beginning. They just didn't want to take credit for it. And not because they're super modest, but because they didn't want to unnecessarily provoke Russia. So they don't have to walk a fine line. The minute the Israeli security establishment says, boo, done. Nothing happens. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. They, they are more concerned specifically and only of what Mr. Putin can do in Syria. I posted a picture of how many terror bases are in Syria. You still there? Yeah, sorry, my my thing cut off. I did you get the map I posted or no? Hang on. No, no, I didn't post it. Now I was mentioning how I posted it before. It was a map of Syria with all the Nazis. Yeah, it's a map of Syria with all the terror bases and then all the Russian air defense um, platforms all beside it. And the Israelis care about only one thing: their security. Now I think they feel Russia is severely degraded. That it won't be a big deal if they openly right. go at them, and they will. I mean, I can guarantee you there's no Russian, the Israeli government will just by fiat rule and decide what happens with money that's coming in and out. They're not, uh, they're not too fussed about it. Um, different. So where some countries are corrupt on like making money, Israel's corrupt on, on security. They're, they, they, it is the be all end all. They won't, they won't sacrifice anything if it's for their security. So I hope that explains the first part of your question. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't know if there was like a some sort of also vested interest in uh, this this uh, settlement in Ukraine, which is I don't going to be like uh, carved out homeland. I don't know if it was like some sort of back channel promise. Carved out homeland implied. for what? I don't know what. I mean, the Anatevka thing, which was uh, mentioned in the podcast, and and I did not have any in depth knowledge about it, but I didn't. I what what you might know about was it. it in? Sorry, it was the Trump Inc. podcast. I think it was uh, under um, This American Life, maybe. 
anyway, it's, no it's something I could I could share that with you. I'll send you a link to it. You yeah, listen to it and tell me what you thought. Sounds but it was just it was kind of like there's a lot of money, and it sounded like uh, you know. Dude, are, are we going conspiracy? Yehuda, Yehuda, we... Yehuda, Fuzzy. This American Life yep. is an amazing podcast. That's to begin with. So thank you, Fuzzy, for bringing it into attention. This American Life is an amazing podcast, and I listen to it. I've been listening to it avidly for, for, for years, if not more than a decade. That's number one. Right. Number two, Tel Aviv, Moscow, and Dubai is the financial nexus you're looking at, Fuzzy. Yeah. I wouldn't want to discuss it. I don't know if Yehuda wants to discuss it. And it's just there. It's one of those dark realities of life. It is there. Money talks, sadly. Uh, some of the people who are moving uh, that money are not really interested in killing Ukrainians or supporting Putin or uh, allowing the Emiratis to make some money on the side. It's one of the sad, 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 sad realities of life. And it's just, it's just there. Okay. All right. Um, anyway, yeah, I'm referring to his homeland thing, carving out a land. I don't uh, know what that's no, no, about. It, it was, it's a, it's actual like a settlement, uh, called Anatevka, which is based on that fiddler on the roof, uh, thing. Are anyway. you talking about moving Jews to Ukraine into a settlement that the Israelis bought from there? I don't understand. This is the whole something like that. It's, it's, a, okay. it's in the it's uh, crazy it's talk. The, it's in, yeah, yeah, it's kind of crazy, but it's, it's crazy it's like talk. A, there's money. And there's back channel money, money going on with American yeah. politics, and it's kind of a way of peeling yeah. off. It's crazy and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But let me it, let me tell you there. one thing: an Israeli living on an Israeli living on a beach in Tel Aviv isn't going to pine to move back to a shtetl so he can milk cows and live <laughs> like fiddler on the roof. It's the gotcha. dumbest thing I've ever heard. Anyway, no worries. Gotcha. I, I just wanted to just ask because I know it's it's a nexus of U.S. politics. Is Israeli money? I don't know if it's money or and some stuff with. Uh, the shadow diplomacy going on uh, back channel during uh, the Trump administration in Ukraine. So that's, that was my curiosity. The yeah. other thing was, you can message is, me privately. I'd like sure. to hear more of this crazy story, but go ahead. Yeah. It's a, it's a crazy story and, and you have to listen to it, but I just kind of just, because I heard the other speaker and I, I'm curious about it, but I, I'm actually, uh, no, we're saying, man, we'll talk about it offline. Let's go to your next question. Yeah, We've got yeah, some other people that the want other to one, chat. Yes. The other one was about, uh, they, I saw a report 80% of howitzers, the 155s have, uh, been received in Ukraine. Thank goodness. I'm, uh, uh, I'm eager to see them in action. I'm wondering what you guys see as the best deployment for them. They have higher range with, depending on the, the shells used, hopefully they get the Excaliburs and they start pounding the F out of these, uh, positions. So where, where do they, where do they deploy? What do you think they would deploy them? Um, and when, how will we tell other than seeing uh, body counts go up? M. Axel. Anybody. I'm here. Yeah. Bueller. Sorry. I was looking at the screen. What Bueller. is the question again? Yeah. We, we don't have verification of such a number of uh, deployment already. I, I wouldn't have seen anything like it and not, uh, not deployed, but received in country, I guess. So it's, it, I guess it's been oh, okay. transferred. Yeah, I would hope so. Then I would hope so. But I, again, I, I don't have any of those numbers. And I mean, if we have, sure. we'll probably not even discuss it. But what uh, I would like to see, and right. I agree with you, is to see the impact 
and I would like to see the impact on those positions which are currently most precious and precarious at the same time, and that is around the Izium salient, it's around Severodonetsk. It is certainly something which could be quite marvellous towards Kherson. And, uh, well, let's have it. More I can't really say. I mean, of course, everybody is anticipating that this will help the Ukrainians keep the other side at a distance and actually hit behind their lines. Yeah, well, my name is Prisnachul I'm asking, there's no way. As a former okay. military, yeah, as a former oh, military, military officer um, in one of the countries in Africa, there's no way how you can train somebody, like train a group of people and take out that guy, Putin. And when I turn about it... Uh... So what? strange. I couldn't mute him. That was really <laughs> weird. But uh, we got lucky. We have the His Excellency, the Royal Prince of Buganda, and he's going to come back on and tell us something. But go ahead, uh, finish up your... Zamunda, Zamunda. <laughs> Prince of Samunda. No, I, I was finished. I'm, I'm, I really, I can't add anything else in the same, but I share your hope that they will be deployed sooner rather than later. Right, right. Okay. Uh, thank you. And, and the 155s, I think Germany sending uh, seven units there as well. And uh, hopefully that they are. Yeah, that's a never ending. So that's a never ending discussion. Uh, yeah. Miss, Miss Lambrecht yesterday wanted to cut it down to five because they, she now has heard that somebody, that two of them are not in mint condition and whatnot. Uh, yeah, well, let's see. I think our Dutch friends are the ones who are making the big difference by sending 24 of them. And Germans are training them both in Germany and Poland. That's grand. Actually, they have been trained, I understand, even to an extent. And I'm quite sure that the Ukrainians are far more capable of learning things which matter to them existentially very, very quickly. And exactly. Some, exactly. Uh, that's the whole point. All right. Exactly. We're going to go to Alex. Right, has you. a hand up. No worries, bud. Thanks for sticking around. Stay around. Alex, your hand and Taylor. Thank you. I, I heard um, an interesting theory um, about why Russia is engaging into this anti-Semitism at this moment. Um, and uh, the reason could be uh, they really need to galvanize their internal population. And uh, if you look at history of uh, Tsarist Russia prior to Bolshevik Revolution, it was deeply anti-Semitic. Um, they were accusing Jews for anything and everything. And the main, uh, the main uh, motto was, uh, well, you need to beat Jewish to save Russia. That's, that's basically how this uh, pogrom um, tradition and uh, all that kind of stuff was, um, it, it was deeply rooted in Russia. Uh, at, at least um, it, it's hard to say how deeply in population, but like prior to Bolshevik Revolution, being a Russian patriot and being anti-Semite was exactly the same thing. So one of um, the most famous documents written that anti-Semites to this day still use, in fact, it's uh, a document that other neo-Nazis and Illuminati and conspiracy people still use. There was a document written by the Tsarist secret police called the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. And for those who don't know, uh, it is a fictitious document, allegedly written by my ancestors, uh, which goes through, it's like a manual of how to take over the world and murder everyone and make them your slaves. Um, it's a joke. It's, um, uh, it was actually lifted from a French novel, um, and it was debunked, oh, in 1896 or something by the Times of London, because they, they realized the Russians had plagiarized and 
taken out the nefarious group from this novel and put the word Jewish in it. Uh, but the Nazis used it. Uh, Neo-Nazis still use it. It's very, very prevalent. Um, there are Jewish people who I know who I helped uh, advise them on, on leaving Russia in the first uh, couple weeks, month of the war. And I was very clear with them because they said, well, no, we're, we're good here. I'm like, oh, you're not good there. <laughs> you give it some time. Um, wait for the Russians to start doing poorly and this will get put back on the Jewish people again. And this is, that's a telltale uh, sign uh, from Russia. Um, this is, they have a deeply ingrained Semitic, anti-Semitic um, history. Um, uh, these, the pogroms throughout Eastern Europe have existed for hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, there are periods of enlightenment in Poland where, where Jews were welcomed and, and Poland f- flourished. Uh, Russia's always been flirting with severe anti-Semitism. Um, you know, if if you want to know, to give you an example, the level of anti-Semitism in Russia, a lot of people are familiar with uh, the glorious nation of Kazakhstan and Borat. Um, Sasha Baron Cohen, actually, uh, his, his master's is in medieval anti-Semitism, and he's a very brilliant person. His whole Borat persona isn't really Kazakh. It's really... Uh, of a Russian peasant from the 1800s, 1900s. Um, that's th- those 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 things he makes those jokes about shape shifting Jews and and uh, and I will steal your money and um, throw the Jew down the well. Those those are actual things from Russian history. So it's actually he's parroting history, but that's actually you know where this will go. And if you could have such a uh, sophisticated man like Sergei Lavrov um, say such ridiculous things. On international media, I mean, if that's the best they've got, imagine what the worst they've got is, right? So, sorry, Alex, to interrupt you. I just want to add that too, just to give people context, because I don't think they, I, I think for a Western audience, these comments are so egregious that they don't believe they're even true. They watch Borat and, and think that Borat's just making joke like of dumb Kazakh people, uh, or you know, Kazakh Kazakhis who are, are not bright in general. He's saying, um, but he's actually pointing to that Eastern European Russian czarist uh, anti-Semitic propaganda. It's rife. It's there. The Orthodox Church in, in in Russia itself has been very muted in its criticism of Jewish people, only because Putin likes to make deals wherever he can. So don't be fooled. Uh, Jewish people are definitely the next target of Russia, and they already are a target of Russian by, by Jewish Ukrainians, including their supposed neo-Nazi president. Go ahead, Alex. Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, I think. Uh, Sorry, Alex, you to for interrupt you again. Details, uh, Alex, really, uh, Alex, I really appreciate the really kind of help understand Alex. the yes. Sorry to interrupt you again. To add to Yehuda's point, Sasha is actually a personal friend. That document is a complete fabrication, the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. It is a complete fabrication, and it was part of the answer of the Russian Secret Service or the Imperial Secret Service to the Tsar back then to the four questions posed by the 1905 revolution, which are the educated class as a problem of national security to the imperial throne, and the problem of agricultural land ownership, union labors, and ethnicities that the Russian Empire had to rule over. That document is a complete fabrication. Sadly, in 2022, that document still holds water with a lot of people across the Arab world, the Muslim world, and many parts of the world, sadly. It's a complete fabrication. And like Yehuda has just said, 
it, it, it comes from a French origin because actually it was the French philosophers who came up with the whole, you know, Jewish question before it was introduced to English philosophical debates, before it was introduced to the Russian sphere. Sadly, it was the French. This document is still in circulation today, translated Toujours into many languages. Yes, well, yeah, well, the French Revolution, we have that to thank for, of course. And, uh, oh my God, I forgot my line of thought. It, it's actually it's, from a novel, though, Murad. Is it the, it the is, 100%, yes. It is, it is from a novel, but then also one French philosopher expanded on that novel for some reason. I actually have the book here somewhere. I need to just uh, dig it up. But yeah. uh, Alex, yeah, please go it, ahead. Sorry. It reminds me of, uh, you know, uh, we had, um, uh, where I was growing up, we had neighbor Jews, and they once gave me matzah. And uh, then somebody. That's how you know they didn't like you. What's that? That's how you know they didn't like you. It's a joke. It was <laughs> no, not very tasty. <laughs> they, they liked me. Actually, we were good I was kidding. I was kidding. Playing chess and everything. But then somebody told me that, you know what? They put, uh, like, kids' uh, blood into this matzah. And I asked my mom. My mom was, uh, like, uh, I was, like, six or seven years old. She said, what is this nonsense or something? But, yeah, it's, uh, they try to... Um, yeah, I mean, anti-Semitism is uh, quite deeply rooted into into European, uh, Eastern European, Russian, <laughs> yeah, psyche. Yeah. But anyway, Google, yeah, Google. So as as Russia, as Putin is trying and Lavrov are trying to find roots, um, it, it may explain that even though it's nonsense, it, it makes no sense whatsoever. But they need to kind of galvanize the and they are looking uh, into dark and darker sides of Russian um, patriarchy, so-called. Yeah, I would Google the word if you're curious, listeners, uh, if you were to Google blood libel, L-I-B-E-L, you can find a large history. So throughout began in the Christian world in Europe um, thousand years ago uh, that Jews murder Christian babies to drink their blood. Um, and make matzah, specifically making Passover matzah. I don't know if anyone's seen matzah. It's white. Uh, I think blood would look a certain color, but at any rate... I actually I'm, liked it very much. <laughs> it's a big cracker. For anyone who's curious, it's a big cracker. Uh, and we eat it for Passover as we were pro- pro- prohibited from having leavened bread uh, during those days of Passover. But for some reason, some anti-Semite down the road said, hey, we make we make matzah out of blood uh it's just flour and water and zero yeast a bit of salt uh it was adopted in the muslim world at some point um there are some famous blood libels in damascus um uh, those are some of the more famous ones in that part of the world but in eastern europe it was very much uh taught you have hugh of lincoln or hugh of york uh, uh a boy who was found in a well dead and uh and a, a large number of jews were murdered in England. Um, I can't remember how long ago it was. Uh, but it's it's quite common. Blood libels have been throughout Europe. And uh, they're crazy and sad, but it's a part of Russian history as well. And this is just, you know, take it a step further. Um, mentioning Zelensky being Jewish and then saying that Jews themselves say we're our own worst enemy. Uh, that's If that's not a dog whistle, 
there is nothing else. The gaslighting, the dog whistling from the, the top diplomat from the Russian Federation. Uh, I don't think they'll ever be able to live it down. I can guarantee you all the work that Israel has been doing quietly. I think the mask is off and, and they're probably going to have so much political pressure from its population to say, you know what, what we, these people have never liked us. They've murdered us for hundreds of years. We've been nice to them after the